Good afternoon, my AOWs. I'm so excited to be back with a brand new episode for you today. I am stoked, honored, excited for this week's episode. I got to sit down and talk with one of the nation's leading obstetrics and gynecologists who practices in Washington, D.C., Dr. Sharon Malone. The youngest of eight children, she definitely knows a thing or two about women's health and resiliency. She currently serves as a CMO at Alloy, and you can check them out at myalloy.com. And we have a really great discussion on where menopause has landed from the beginning of her career in the early 90s to today, and how we see telemedicine evolving and helping women's health care move forward with a particular focus on midlife and menopause. It was such a pleasure getting to meet with Sharon Malone. So without further ado, let's get right into today's show. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. To calm the body's stress response to bothersome hot flashes. Now with the Evia app, that's simply E-V-I-A in the app store, you will learn to soothe both day and night symptoms without the use of medications. You'll be able to track and evaluate your symptoms and so much more. They have a core five-week program that is Dr. Hirsch approved for at-home support. Start your seven-day free trial at eviamenopause.com slash Heather, which is E-V-I-A-M-E-N-O-P-A-U-S-E dot com slash Heather, or check the link in the description to get started. I am so excited to have Dr. Sharon Malone on the show today. So welcome. And I thought we would start with just telling a little bit about your story, because I found it so incredible and fascinating that you are the youngest of eight in your family and just how growing up that in that kind of family, you know, may have led you into the career that you are, or, or maybe not, but I'll let you kind of start from the beginning. Well, thank you very much for having me. This is really a very special afternoon, so I'm glad to spend it with you. Um, I am the youngest of eight kids, and not only am I the youngest of eight kids, but I'm the last of five girls. So my family was three boys and then five girls in a row. And what in a row? In a row, five girls. Goodness, I'm one of three girls, and so I can't imagine adding two more to the mix. But you know what, in a lot of respects, though, I grew up more like an only child than like, you know, someone from a family of eight, because there was such a large spread between the oldest and the youngest. My oldest brother is 23 years older than me. So he was married and out of the house when I was born. So to say that I was a an oops baby is probably the understatement of the year. So uh-huh. But growing up with that many sisters just means that I had, you know, my world has always been very female centric. Um, And unfortunately, my mom died um, very young. She was, um, I was only 12 when my mom died, but then I lived with my older sister. So that sort of has been, you know, my lived experience is Mm -hmm. always, you know, in a home of women. Mm -hmm. Um, 
uh, and, and a home of women who didn't really talk a lot about the things that we, that um, I do, you know, in women's health, you would think with all those sisters, I'd know everything, right? Not really, not really. It's a different generation, you know, hmm. and women weren't talking about the things that, you know, hopefully you and I will get a chance to discuss today. Yeah. And um, when you were going through medical training, what, what led you down the path of OBGYN? I could envision, you know, growing up with women and uh, finding just that so fascinating. I, that was, I guess me, but um, what led you to your career in OBGYN and taking care of women? Well, you know, I was actually, I was actually pretty surprised this is where I landed because um, when I started medical school, I really thought I wanted to be uh, a neurologist. Um, I was fascinated with the brain. I did a lot of, I uh, majored in psychology in college and did a lot of, and they were just really starting to break that code and to think of it as the brain versus the mind. And Mm. I was completely fascinated. Fascinated. Um, but when I got to med school, you know, you just, and you understand this, you get to a divide the very quickly, um, on in the process, you know, whether you're going to be a surgeon or whether you want to be, you know, a primary care or, um, um, internal medicine type person. And when I got to neurology, I realized it's like, no, not so much. I needed something that was a little bit more immediate. Um, I loved having relationships with patients. And I think OBGYN is one of the few fields of medicine that one, you can do as many different things as you do. You know, I can be on any given day. I can be a surgeon. I can be an obstetrician. I can be a counselor. I can be a primary care doctor, a pediatrician, you know, so it's it's hard to get bored in this field. Um, but I think if you, you know, if I think back to it, it really does harken back to that, that, um, that experience of having been around women and understanding women, um, and to be able to observe this throughout the lifespan of a woman has been something that has been truly a big joy in my career. Mm -hmm. I, I find it so fun to think about the lifespan of the reproductive course, you know, it starts in with puberty and then there's contraception and then there's, um, pregnancy and then there's postpartum and we're just kind of getting that needle to perimenopause and menopause. And I found myself interestingly, more and more interested in that part. How did you become more interested in that? Well, you know, I had, um, a wonderful experience in terms of the the practice that I joined. Um, I trained here in Washington, DC, and then I joined a practice that had been around probably when I joined them, they had probably been around 30 years already. Um, So I had um, the experience of coming into an established practice, practice. And I also inherited the practice of two older, uh, the founders of the practice who had, you know, they were in their seventies. So right out of residency, uh-huh. I come right in and I have patients all the way from, you know, 18 to 80. Oh, that's fun. So menopause and, and perimenopause is something that I didn't have to just grow into. It was something that I started, I had to learn right away. This is what I'm dealing with. These are the patients that I have. And then 
the interesting part is to watch when you're in one spot for 28 and a half years, I literally have patients that I took care of in college Mm -hmm. and then they were young mothers and then they were perimenopausal and menopausal. I got to see the entire reproductive lifespan. So that was actually wonderful. So, you know, I was thinking you told me you started practice in the, in 1992 or in the Mm nineties and, um, had this wonderful career. And in, in, I always say in my presentations, when I'm teaching, well, in the early 1990s, I think in 1992, the American College of Physicians advocated for the use of hormone therapy shortly after menopause. And then we know that things kind of took a, a real 180 after in 2003, 2004, as initial results were coming out of the women's health study, which most of my listeners know as sort of the big study that um, sort of caused a lot of confusion, infusion, confusion and fear amongst positions, patients and providers. That's what positions means. Um, what was that experience like for you, um, in the 1990s going, going through the WHI and into now, what has that sort of cycle been like? Well, it was, it, let, let me just say, I think my head spun around because my entire, uh, training and when yeah. I was in practice, we were the, the, the party line was that hormones were the answer to everything. And we were giving hormones to women who were certainly to women who were symptomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, we were actually motivated by the, not just treating hot flashes and mood swings, which, you know, and that is important in and of itself, but there was a lot of data that said that, you know, we reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. And that was really the big impetus for right. why we were actually encouraging women to take um, hormone replacement because, you know, and I think at that time there was an understanding of the fact that cardiovascular disease kills more women each year than all cancers put together. Yeah. So, you know, that when you did that rate, that risk uh, benefit ratio, it was coming out in favor of hormones again and again from a lot of the uh, observational studies because hormones are not new. You know, hormones have been around for you know since the forties. Mm-hmm. Um, so this wasn't a new drug, and the information, the cumulative information, said on the whole it was positive, and that we were doing far more good for women than we were harming them, and that's sort of where we were. And then the Women's Health Initiative came out. Yeah. And then, Um, and really it came out and and the results came out in a press release. We, none of us had seen the study and, you know, I have come to find out now that even the principal investigators of the study had not seen those results. So it was, it was jarring to say the least. Um, Patients felt betrayed patients felt like we had given them, you know, uh, sold them a bill of goods that we couldn't deliver on. And rightfully so at that particular point in time. Right. But when we finally had a chance to see the study and the article, and we realized how many things in the study were flawed, um, all of the negative effects of the women's health initiative were oversold. And the unfortunate Um, effect of that is that here we are and it's 20 years later and we are still fighting 
to sort of roll back that negative impression, you know, that hormones cause cancer, you know, it increases the risk of cardio of um, Alzheimer's and it Mm -hmm. doesn't. And that has been the hardest thing I think um, to undo, but we're getting there and we're getting there because people like you are speaking out on it. Um, We're sort of having to re-educate not only a generation of patients, but a whole generation of doctors. You know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so when I placed myself around this time, um, in 2003, um, Syracuse university won the NCAA championship. And that was a big deal because I was a junior at Syracuse university when Carmelo Anthony and the basketball team won the national championship. So, so that's where I was. And I was trying to take my, what's that test MCAT. And Mm -hmm. I was just way too distracted by all the fun I was having. So at that point in time, it's funny because I talk about this so much with my patients you know, clearly it wasn't at all on my radar. And when I was in medical school, fast forward to 2006, 2007, you know, the message that I got on menopause, uh, in medical school was, well, we always thought this was good. And it not only treated hot flashes, it prevented cardiovascular disease, but we were totally wrong. We were totally wrong. And that doing the math is about three or four years, even after you guys read and sat down and said, Hmm. And when I was in residency at Case Western, we also learned, well, if you have to use hormone therapy, only if you've tried everything else and she really, really needs it. And there's no risk factor insight, you know, use a teeny tiny dose for the shortest time. That's what I learned. And then when I did my fellowship training, I couldn't believe actually just getting to study the the WHI and then all the data after that, the WHI is just one study. I think I also fell in love with explaining this and unraveling this. Right. Um, And now we have a problem where we have, you know, issues with um, getting people, women, uh, the right kind of care, the best kind of care, access to care, because we're still trying to unravel this. Right, right. You know, I think that, um, you know, and I think there was ACOG that put out the information. They said that, you know, now in, believe it or not, in 20, this thing was done like maybe in the, um, maybe 2018 or so when they did the survey and they said that, you know, some 80% of OBGYNs did not feel adequately trained in menopause. And and that's unfortunate, you know, and and unfortunate because the first, you would think the first line of defense would be your OBGYN. If anybody knew the answer, this would be. But I have to tell you, not many people had the experience that I had because in, you know, this, when you start a practice, you usually start out, you're young and and your patients are young and then you all, you know, grow old together. Um, and I really had the experience of, you know, on day one, back Mm -hmm. in 1992, I had patients who had already been on hormones for 30 years at that point in time, you know? Yeah. So I'm looking at these women and they're like, yeah, I'm good. You know, I, you know, you can see it. Right. I'm not taking my hormone. You know, you're not taking my hormones away. And then I had the 10 years of women that I had actually prescribed hormones for uh, who were doing fine, who were great and had no problems. And then when the study came out, they sort of stopped them, fell swoop, and they were miserable. I mean, and that's the thing, you got to see it. Like you were on hormones yesterday, you stopped them today. 
And then they, and then they would go a few months, complain bitterly about it. And they just, you know, I can't take it. I just can't take it. And then we go back by then, at least I'd had a chance to digest the study and read it and say, okay, you know, the headlines out, but it's really not nearly as bad as, you know, it was uh, reported. And then we started getting women back on hormones, but it was still never quite with the, the, the fervor that we had from generations before, because bad news hangs around. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, as we can tell for a very long time. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's sort of, you know, that's sort of what appealed to me. Um, because after, you know, as the older I got, the more interesting it became, not just for me personally, as I went through this journey myself, um, but I also got to go through this with my patients. So we were having babies together. We were going through perimenopause and menopause together. And, you know, and there was some trust there. Um, I think I was very honest with my patients about what we know, what we didn't know, but on the whole, you know, everything in my experience up to that point says that, you know, I don't want you to feel guilty or feel as if you're doing something dangerous here. Um, I take hormones and I always have, and I have no, unless I have a reason to not take them, I will continue. And, you know, so, and once you sort of get to that point in life, you realize, you know, we've got a lot of work to do, you know, and, um, and I will say this, and I, and I do mean this sincerely, doctors are getting squeezed. Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah. And particularly, you know, as OBGYNs and people who are in primary care, we have a lot of stuff to do in a 15 minute visit once a year. Mm -hmm. And the hormone discussion, because it's nuanced, because it sort of matters, because you need to understand what are the risks, what are the benefits, what are my goals, you know, for aging healthily and well. It you can't do that at the end of a, you know, I've got 30 seconds now to discuss hormones. And that's why I think for a lot of doctors, not necessarily intentionally, it's just that you run out of time for all the other things you have to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way the practice has really got to change is that we've got to understand that menopause deserves its own time. You know, I love that saying. Mm-hmm not, not squeezed in. Right. It is, it is important. I think as you know, the number of women are increasing daily who are going through this process and not knowing what to do. Um, it requires its own time, its own conversation. And that is why I am so happy to be part of Alloy uh, Women's Health. The, the, the other piece of it is that you realize that you, if I tell you that 80% of OBGYNs don't feel comfortable talking about this. So imagine the fall off, even as you get into other subspecialties, right? They're just simply not enough doctors who are a interested, B have the time or the inclination to really have these sort of in-depth conversations with women. So Alloy allows us to have that conversation, but we can leverage the experience of one doctor over many women at mm -hmm. a time. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it physically, even if everything changed tomorrow, we just don't have the woman power 
to be able to get all of this information to um, to women if we go back to the old way of one-on-one doctor patient come in the office you know it, it it just we just physically impossible oh i couldn't agree with you i couldn't agree with you more and you're right i love that saying about menopause deserving its own time because i believe the current statistics are something like 5 to 10 i think it's closer to 7 but 5 to 10% of us women take hormone therapy i i don't know of, of that, what is FDA approved, what is not. I certainly know there's lots and lots of women doing unapproved, unrecommended options because of all the access issues you just mentioned. And so I think this idea of how can we scale, how can we help more people when there's so few of us with those inclinations and that knowledge. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about um, what your plans for Alloy are and and how you see that working. Well, um, tell you a little bit about Alloy. Alloy is a um, women's telehealth platform for women in the perimenopause and menopausal window who are looking for solutions. And it is an opportunity for us to educate women. So we provide um, access to menopause trained doctors. Um, we use only uh, FDA approved medications. We use, you know, so we are using bioidentical, you know, hormones, um, everything that is above board. There are generics because I think it's, it's vitally important that if we are going to ask women to do this, we have to keep it at a price point that, that makes it accessible for women. Um, and so we use generics, you know, that was a purposeful decision to do so. So mm-hmm. we don't price women out of the market. Mm-hmm. If we expand access, we should be able to have it be affordable for women as well. Um, and we also provide community because we want women to understand that, you know, this is not an isolating experience. All of us any person born with ovaries will go through menopause. It's not an optional activity. It doesn't mean because you didn't have symptoms, you're not going through it. And you will be in menopause for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And so understanding what that means for you, for your health and for your well-being in the short term and the long term. Yeah. It's something that women should really understand. And and again, and to get back to what I was saying before is to take the fear out of it, you know, to, to not make women feel as if, oh my God, I'm taking my life into my own hands because yeah. I want to not have hot flashes. Right, exactly. No, it's not true, you know? Uh, so, you know, that's where I, I think that, um, you know, and alloy is such a good idea that, I mean, I wish I had thought of it uh, myself, (laughs) but I didn't, but I am so delighted to uh, have joined the two women who did, um, Anne Fullen-Wider and Monica Molinar. And the same thing, we, our motto at, at Alloy is, you know, Alloy is for women, by women, and it's not just for you, we are those women, you know, mm-hmm. we are women of a certain age. So we have an understanding of what women need and how to present that information, because each of us has our own sort of unique story about how we got, you know, how we got interested in the perimenopause and menopausal space. So 
there's going to be, I think there should be more of this and, mm -hmm. and more of, of women sort of um, understanding and providing solutions and to make sure that no woman, because of your zip code or yep. whatever your economic status, that you don't get to have access yep. to this information. And that's sort of what a wonderful platform like Alloy actually does is because, you know, we will, you know, we have providers that can prescribe in 50 states. So, and the District of Columbia. So, Anyone who wants to have access to this can. And, and I think um, lastly, what I'll say about this is that when, and, and what I observed over the years is that just because the some of the solutions and, and the most effective solutions, normally hormone replacement got taken off the table and you know, in most people's minds in 2002, the need didn't go away. And, the, and what has happened in these 20 years since the Women's Health Initiative is that women kept looking for a solution and they kept finding things that were not so great. Yeah, not so great, not so effective, expensive, dangerous. Um, they, dangerous. You know, they went to uh, non FDA approved medications or spending hundreds of dollars on supplements that don't work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just to say that, um, you know, to sort of, to negate that, that, you know, that experience that women have had in these 20 years, you know, is, is overlooking, you know, a huge portion of um, the population. And I think it's unfortunate that a lot of women suffered unnecessarily in these past 20 years. And, and we really want to change that. Um, we want to change the dynamic, um, and we want people, we want people, and I'll say women and people with ovaries, because mm -hmm. you have, if you were born with ovaries, you're going to go through menopause at some point in time. We want you to have agency, you mm -hmm. know, you get to decide. And I think that our position as physicians is to provide you with the information that you need to make that decision. I, I, my, um, my goal is not to scare you. And I think that that's what happens when you say breast cancer, breast cancer, that makes women make decisions based on fear mm -hmm. and not facts and not science and not evidence. And, you know, you know, as well as I, when you give, when you are trying to explain anything to a patient, be it a drug or procedure, you as a physician have an inordinate amount of control over what that patient decides by how you present that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've got a lot of people, we got a lot of um, um, correcting of the record to do and a lot of education of physicians so they can stop scaring women, you know? Right, <laughs> exactly. You know, it, makes for, it makes for great Twitter Fodder, but you know, scaring women is not really what you know any of us should be aspiring to do. I think that this is one the one and only medication. I challenge you and anyone else to think about any other type of medication or procedure <clears throat> where a clinician says, I don't believe in that. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I hear that from women all the time. I don't believe in that. I, I, you know, this isn't really, this isn't supposed to be, this is supposed to be 
<laughs> an option and a safe and effective option uh, for women. And so I, I, I absolutely love what you guys are creating and doing. And I think the access is so important, especially because we don't just want a certain phenotype of person with ovaries to get treated. We want everyone to make informed decisions. And lastly, every time I give a presentation about menopause, you know, I always say, well, I'm going to probably spend a chunk of time talking about hormone therapy. <clears throat> Not that that's the only thing, but look, that's probably what you guys mostly need in this lecture. And I always get at someone who raises their hand and says, well, Dr. Hirsch, my patients don't even want hormone therapy. And I think they don't know but they don't know to your very point of all women should have the ability to make a really informed decision, which circling all the way back to the beginning of our conversation takes a really enormous amount of clinical time and emotional energy. So right. um, I, I'm really excited to see what you guys will do and um you know, uh, uh, how you will go forward. And, uh, it is such a Renaissance time for femtech and women's health in all areas, sexual health, reproductive health, infertility, and menopause. Are you excited about the whole femtech, you know, women's health space? Um, obviously you are, but what kind of emotions does it give you? You know what? I, I am excited about it because I think that we are finally at the point where, people realize, oh, women need stuff too. You know, I mean, we are the caretakers in our families. Right. We control healthcare dollars for our children's, for our families, for our parents even, but no one has really taken the time to say, well, then what do you need? And what, did, and, you know, or to even do the studies to say what works for women. Exactly, even do the studies. <laughs> Even just to do that. But I, I think that when it comes, when we get back to hormones, and this is one of the few times in life where, you know, a little bit of experience is, is, is helpful and to know what it's like, I don't have, I don't have the fear of abusing hormones or not having your hormones that probably a newer person or a person who came of age in that time when hormone replacement therapy had such a bad reputation because I've seen it. I know what women look like and, and I know what they felt like and what their concerns were. And more importantly, I think that, you know, when you talk about hormone replacement, there is probably, there are probably very few drugs that have been around for as long in their, you know, and still used for the same thing for, you know, 60, 70 years now, this is not new news. So we didn't come up with something and now we're going to find out, oh my God, I'm going to grow a third eye with that. Right. No, we pretty much know what the, what the risks and benefits are for hormone replacement. And what I want for every woman um, is to be able to approach this conversation and to say, you know what, not only are we finding that this is helpful for symptomatic women, and it is, and then we know that's the most effective solution that we have, but we are coming back, talk about coming back, you know, we've, we've done another 180 in finding that even the things that we thought were beneficial when we started the Women's Health Initiative, and then we're told that they were not, you know, true, such as the cardiovascular disease, guess what, we're right back again to saying, oh, you know, 
maybe, you know, it really does help with cardiovascular disease. <clears throat> maybe, yes. Maybe. We were right <laughs> those 40 years before we the Women's Health Initiative. So, you know, I think, um, you know, and again, and we're also going to start to loosen some of those things, you know, where after the Women's Health Initiative, when we were so careful about only you can have it. And only if you, you know, spin around three times on a Tuesday and promise to only use the two days, you know. Right, right, exactly. We're realizing, no, 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 no. They, it, we didn't have to be that stringent. Um, I'm not a fan of suffering. Everybody who knows me knows that, you know. That's why I, I got my, always got my epidurals early and often. Not a fan of suffering, you know. <laughs> me too. We're kindred spirits. <laughs> Except so, for my last one, I couldn't get in fast enough, but that's the story for another day. So, yeah, so we've got a lot of work to do. And I think we need to educate women and we really need to educate doctors. But until we get to that point, that's a much longer, uh, heavier lift to get the doctors all retrained on that. Um, and until we do, then, you know, services, the femtech, God bless them for coming out there and realizing that there's a different way to do this and a different way to deliver um, hormones to women who need it. Um, and that's part and parcel what we're trying to do at Alloy. And we're doing it from the perspective of women who really understand not only what is needed, but how to get it to our patients. Well, my army of women who I call my AOWs on the show will absolutely love this episode and, um, you know, share it across your social media platforms. And I will link all of your resources, your, um, uh, your Twitter and alloy and the website so that women can sort of check out and see everything that, um, yes. is there and all the things that are going on, because I think that there is such a buzz right now and, and women are just dying for this kind of information. And thank you so much. It was really an honor for me to get to interview you and ask you some fun, but serious questions and any last kind of final thoughts. Well, I want women to know that, you know, our best efforts are really at making sure that women get the help that they need. You know, they can go to myalloy.com. They can follow me um, on, well, my, my Twitter is a little bit more interesting than my Instagram because all I do on Instagram is show pictures of stuff that I made last night for dinner. But um, <laughs> But you never know who needs to see that. You never know, never know. But no, I'm S Malone MD. I'm easy to find. And um, I will keep at this process until I make sure that every woman who's out there needs it has access. Well, thank you so much. If you guys like this episode, please share it, give it a few stars, leave a review. And thank you again, Sharon, so much for being on the show. And I'll see you guys again next week for a brand new episode. Bye everyone. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Episode.